creation and fall and redemption and restoration. Over and over again, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the plot of the Bible. And over the next month, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the fact that it is also the story that makes sense of your life. This morning, beginning with creation and the beauty of it and the way that, that God, when he gives us salvation, gives us grateful eyes, eyes that can see the beauty of his new life, his new creative work in us. From the word of God, 2 Corinthians, a beautiful chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Would you follow along with, in your Bibles or on the screens, the English Standard Version is what we're reading. 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is, has been written, quote, I believe, and so I spoke, unquote, we also believe, so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, lift up our eyes to look to the heavens, to ask and wonder who created all these. Father, focus our eyes this morning to look to your word, to ask the question, what mystery of truth of beauty, of salvation lies therein. In Jesus' name, amen. You know how you can be looking at a problem at night and it's unsolvable? I remember this from, you know, from, uh, from school when 
I was working on something and working on something late into the night, and I would go to bed, get up in the morning, and with fresh eyes, boom, there it is. Or maybe it's a personal issue. You're just too tired. And then you get a little rest, and you have fresh eyes, and you can see it. It all clears up. You know how sometimes you get burned, and you develop cynical eyes, and you start looking at other people with distrust? Have you noticed that? How, how if, if you get burned by one relationship that you really invested in, you really trusted that person, that sometimes it can make you cynical about all people, all relationships, even if it's unmerited to distrust them. You can develop cynical eyes. This morning, I want to talk to you about grateful eyes. The way that when we have eyes of gratitude, when we have grateful eyes, we have access to what God is doing in his recreative work at the center of your life. You have access to your salvation, access to the hope that lies within you, access to new life. And so we're going to look at the way that grateful eyes help us to see the beauty around us in a broken world. Even in a broken world, God's beauty can emerge when we look at it with grateful eyes. This morning, let's, let's take a look at the way that eyes of gratitude help us see, first, interview beauty, and second, help us to count the cost, and third, they give us someone to thank. That's where we're going. First, grateful eyes help you see inner beauty. Now, I'm not talking about something new agey. I'm not talking about just something mystical. I'm talking about the assurance the palpable assurance of your salvation. I'm talking about something central to your life that is and can be expansive when you take it with you. If, if you see your faith only as a compartment of life out here on the perimeter, if it's just a Sunday thing or if it's just a quiet time thing, and then you go on and you shift gears into something else, I'm not talking about saying amen and hallelujah constantly. I'm talking about having an awareness of your salvation, having a, a, that central promise and assurance of your salvation, moment to moment. Eyes of gratitude, grateful eyes, can help you see that God has planted something new in you, a, a, a new life that is central to everything you're doing, can rewire everything you're doing, can, can bring energy and hope and life into everything you're doing. When you see it with grateful eyes, you can begin to see emerging God's recreative work, even in broken circumstances. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, yeah, I, I just start to feel a little bit overwhelmed with the beauty of the promise and the lyrical way that it describes, that Paul describes to us that God is doing something new, that God has started something new in you. And even if it's just a seed, it's central. And when it's central, it's portable. It goes with you. And it can be expansive. 
It can, it can grow into everything that you're doing. It can motivate the things that you're doing. It, it can change the way that you approach relationships. Maybe that person in your life is never going to change. But you change. And as you change, the dynamics of relationships can change. But the idea here is, Paul's saying this is central and expansive. And treasure that's in jars of clay, that, that's a contrast, it's an important contrast, that even in our broken circumstances, there's something that can be treasured, something that should be treasured. Johnny Erickson Tata, if you've never heard that name, if that's new to you, I encourage you to read, get some of her books, read her story. She is still living. She's encouraged generations, though, uh, with her story. She, and when she was a teenager, she dove into a shallow pool thinking it was deep, and she became a paraplegic. So she's lived most of her life in a wheelchair. I want to read to you a quotation from one of her books that I think captures the essence of this point of treasure in jars of clay, something that is new, that no matter how broken your circumstances, there's something to be treasured, something that can be treasured. Here's what she says. I remember many years ago feeling trapped by my wheelchair. <laughs> you think? <laughs> No kidding. Then a friend showed me 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where it says, In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. In, in everything. Not for everything. In everything. I, I like to think of it. In everything, give thanks. At first, I didn't understand. How can I possibly give thanks for a life of total paralysis? But that's when my friend wisely said, Joni. Actually, it's, it, I think she pronounces it Johnny. Johnny. Johnny, that verse doesn't say to feel thankful. Listen to this. It doesn't say to feel thankful. You can't possibly do that. But it does say give thanks. Giving thanks has nothing to do with feeling thankful. There's a big difference between trusting God and having trusting feelings. Well, it sounded doable. And so I started small. I started giving thanks for little things. And over time, God rewarded me for taking those first shaky steps of faith. Isn't that interesting how she puts it? He rewarded me with feelings of thankfulness. So today, give thanks for small things, and your feelings one day will catch up. So gratitude, eyes of gratitude, grateful eyes, they come as a result of a habit of giving thanks. Grateful eyes come as a habit, the result of a habit of giving thanks, whether you feel like it or not. You know, I, I've, I've had this kind of conversation many times where somebody is dealing with a difficult situation and they're feeling bad and somebody tries to fix it with faith. Like someone is, is, is dealing with a major blow of grief or somebody in the hospital and the prognosis is grim. And they're sad. And often some people, sometimes people will step into that moment and think that faith is supposed to be some sort of elixir, some kind of, of uh, you know, Advil that you take to make you feel better. Of course not. Faith is, faith is not a painkiller. But 
this seed, this treasure in jars of clay that we have, this, this seed of faith, this assurance of salvation that we have, comes alongside the way we feel. And when we develop the habit of giving thanks, our feelings can often catch up. And so developing grateful eyes can help us give access to new life, to what God's doing even in those broken moments, to give us a sense of joy. That, that doesn't mean you, do, you, you, feel, uh, you don't feel the sadness, but to have joy in the midst of the sadness is to have access to the hope of our salvation in the midst of broken circumstances. Grateful eyes, grateful eyes help us have access to that inner, inner beauty of what God is doing, of the power that he's put into your life. The second, grateful eyes help us count the cost. Grateful eyes help us to count the cost, not, not to feel guilty about the cost. Jesus paid that cost. The cross is the cost. The crucifixion is a brutal reality at the center of this story. But it's a beautiful reality that God has invested something in you. And when you count the cost again and again, when you see that cost again and again, you see how rich that investment is in you. How much he's given to invest in you. We have to count that cost to have access to the gratitude, to have grateful eyes. We have to count the cost of our salvation, that it is a weighty investment, that that seed may be small, but God is faithful to complete it. Counting the cost helps us have assurance that he is faithful to complete that what may be small, but a weighty work in you. Grateful eyes. Count the cost. Verse 10, it says something strange but I think you understand it better now when I read it. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. We were talking about feelings catching up with gratitude. Boy, how much more when, when, we, when we feel the weight of his investment, when we count the cost of the crucifixion, when we carry around the fact that, 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 that there was something paid for us, that the justice that was demanded for the brokenness of this world has been paid and you don't, you don't prosecute twice. Do you see? Now there's the pivot. God is just. And it is just, justice is poured out on Jesus. It's not poured out on you. So we count the cost. Because that's part of the story that reorders our life. It's part of the story that brings order and beauty to life. I remember when I was in high school, a friend of mine, uh, her father was a psychiatrist at, at Duke University. And he was, he was a, a, a renowned psychiatrist. But I had the sense that he carried a lot of, of weight of the chaos of the people's lives that he was trying to help. And one of the things that I noticed about their home was that he had a, an office that 
had LPs. Some of y'all know what an LP is. <laughs> Vinyl records, sorry. He had a huge collection. I mean, he had a Spotify account of, of uh, 33s, just wall to wall. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've never seen such a record collection. And uh, a couple times I went over and I saw him in his office. There was a window in the door and <clears throat> I could see him in there. He was just sitting back in his recliner with headphones on, listening to music. And I thought to myself, how often does he need to just sort of get to that place, get to that moment, just at the end of the day, take a deep breath, having entered into so much chaos of other people's lives and just to recenter himself on something beautiful. How much more? How much more is the story of your salvation, of Christ who entered our chaos? To reorder your life, how much more peace can you have? How much more assurance can you have? How much more a story of order? Oh, it, I, I, it breaks my heart to look out and to see the story that people are telling themselves. They're telling themselves stories about their lives that cannot support the difficulties that they will face. Why is anxiety on the rise? Why, is, why are people so anxious today? Why is everybody talking about anxiety? Why is it that people cannot deal with anxiety? Why are we the most medicated generation of all human history? Why? Because what we need at the center of life is assurance that this brokenness is being dealt with, has been dealt with. We need, in other words, atonement. The heart of this passage is about someone who substituted himself for you, for me. Atonement is the idea that you break the word down and you understand atonement, at one meant. We're fragmented people. And, and so we, we tell stories to try to make sense of life. We tell stories to try to bring some foundation underneath life. We, we, we tell stories to, to make sense of the chaos of life. We listen to records in order to bring a soothing sense of calm in the midst of the chaos that is all around us. People's bad decisions, things that just happen that we can't explain and understand, the bad Bad choices that we make piled one upon another and yet the needs that even visit us on a Sunday morning. The chaos. We tell ourselves stories that cannot restructure life, that cannot support the broken pieces, the fragments. Here's how Frederick Beekner puts it. He says this, 
We are in constant danger of being not actors in the drama of our own lives, but reactors. Let that sink in. Isn't that true? We are in constant danger of not being actors in the drama of our own lives, but reactors. Why? He goes on. The fragmentary nature of our experience shatters us into fragments. Chaos. We create it sometimes. Instead of being whole, most of the time, we are in pieces in Jesus. We see another way of being human in this world, which is the way of wholeness. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But see, you and I need access to that promise. We need access to our salvation. We need access to assurance and grateful eyes, eyes that count the cost of the substitutionary atonement, that the one who deserved praise became a curse, that we may bathe in his praise for all eternity. You see, grateful eyes count the cost. And when they do, we have access to an assurance of salvation that makes gratitude expansive, gives us eyes that are grateful, grateful eyes. Finally, this. Grateful eyes have someone to thank. I love this. Uh, Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton says, the worst moment of an atheist's life is when he feels thankful, but he has no one to thank. <laughs> right? Isn't that true? I mean, it's like, I just feel so grateful, but I don't know who to thank, right? You know? Who, who am I supposed to thank? Grandma, I don't know. My dog. Uh, we need someone to thank. You see, when we have someone to thank, when we have someone to thank, we're reminding ourselves that there's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger story. When we have someone to thank, we, we, we recognize that there's so much more to the story of our lives than the moment we're in. When we have someone to thank, we, we begin to reframe life for the bigger picture of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. When we have someone to thank, there's a new seed of order that's planted in your heart again. I, I talk to my kids about this every now and then when, they, when they're looking at a problem. I've told you this before, but I love this image of like sometimes you, 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 you make a mistake and you feel bad about it. You don't know what to do with it. Or maybe you're looking at a problem and you're starting to say, well, I'm part of that problem, right? And you begin to look at the problem. This is, this is Freud, to me, this is the, the problem with Freudian psychology is you begin to look at the problem and you begin to become, become the problem, right? You're always looking at everything through the problem. It's like, let's look at the problem. Let's solve this problem. Let's fix this problem. Let's dwell on this problem. Let's, let's marinate. Let's navel gaze about the problem. And your world, your whole worldview becomes a problem. I don't say to my kids, I say this to myself every now and then. It's like, the problem's out here. The rest of life is here. The big circle, little circle. Keep the problem where it's supposed to be. Keep faith centered on Christ. And keep your problems and your issues. Some of them you'll never solve. 
Keep them where they belong, on the periphery. Keep them out here. Keep them from defining. Keep them from bringing shape to the rest of your life. You see? It's, that's part of what it means. It's an image for this whole series of reframing life. The song, the melody of all the singers of the scriptures. It's one song. One song with a beautiful plot of God's pursuit of us, of creation, of fall, redemption, consummation, of beauty, of goodness, of truth, of hope. You know, sometimes you're looking at that problem and you're saying, you know, the problem is somebody else. That's, the, that's my problem. It's the problem is somebody else. And I don't have any power over that person, right? I really don't like where they are. I don't really like the decisions they're making. I don't like the implications on me. I don't like the fact that it's, it's a chronic problem. They keep going through the same cycle. I can't get through to them. And one of the things to remember is that when, when there's a bigger plot to life, when you remember you have somebody to thank, when you're looking at it through grateful eyes, you remember you're just in the middle of the story. You're in the middle of the movie. This is not the final chapter. It's never the final chapter. Whatever you're in the middle of, it's never the final chapter. You're in the middle of the movie with that child. You're in the middle of the movie with that boss. You're in the middle of the movie with that unsol seemingly unsolvable issue. You're in the middle of it. Not the end of it. Don't let that define. Don't let it become the story. The story is bigger, and grateful eyes help us see the bigger story. You know, it's a little like this. Like, you know when you get a gift, and you don't know what's in it because, you know, you didn't look at the credit card, you didn't peek, or you didn't unwrap it, rewrap it, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, but you know that it's just a gift. And somebody gave it to you, and it's wrapped up. It's beautiful. Isn't it perfect? It's just perfect. It's just so great. You know, you got... You don't know what it is. There's a mystery to it. There's something wonderful about it. You know, often the, the problem with presents is that we open them. That's the problem with presents. You open them, and it's too small. It's too big. It's the wrong color. It's the, not what you wanted. Whatever it is. Oh, then it's the thought that counts, right? No, yeah. But when a present, a present is wrapped up. You see, I mean, what we've been promised is like that moment when you recognize there's something promising here. There's something wonderful, something to be unwrapped, a future that God has given us, something more than we can, our imaginations can take in, something greater than, and only grateful eyes can begin to give us access to the promise. Augustine was uh, a great leader of the church, and he sums up, I think, all that we've been thinking about in this passage. He, uh, his theology, his influence, his thinking, his writing continues to influence. I mean, it was, it was central to the, to the Reformation and is still central to our denomination. Our, our denomination's motto of a unity of the essentials, liberty of the non-essentials, love over all, that motto comes from Augustine. Listen to what he says about beauty, about gratitude. Late have I loved you, O beauty, ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you, and behold, you were with me, and I out of myself, and there I searched for you. Augustine was one who ran from God 
God grabbed him by the scruff of his neck and turned him around. Late have I loved you, he says, and the beauty he beholds is a result of having grateful eyes. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we do thank you, even if we're not feeling it this morning, that in all things, not for all things, but in all things, you are at work. And so we pray that you'd expand gratitude into all we do, that we would have eyes of faith, eyes of gratitude to see our circumstances within a greater framework of what you're doing. Faithful to complete it, creation, brokenness, of redemption, of full healing, restoration. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.